0: Hi, this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews, specifically looking at Hebrews in light of its use of the Old Testament. We're studying chapter six of Hebrews today. We're gonna take a few minutes and continue to look at some themes that uh, uh, were developed at the end of the last podcast. And specifically, I'm gonna start with uh, chapter six, verses four through eight. You remember from the last podcast, I mentioned that uh, Gareth Cockerell, who's uh, excellent commentary on the book of Hebrews, is sort of the framework I'm using and the base commentary I'm using uh, as I'm talking with you. Cockerell identified at the end of Hebrews 5 and into Hebrews chapter 6 four sort of specific styles and, in particular, four specific kind of emotional presentations that the writer of Hebrews is giving to us. He first of all was shame. And if you missed that part, go back and listen to the last part of the last podcast to see that discussion about shame. Then he talked about warnings, and that's what we're going to start with here in the next few minutes. And then consolation and then assurance. And as we work our way through parts of chapter 6, we're going to see all of these elements. You remember, he first of all tried to shame them. And what I mean by shame is that he was saying to them, his listeners, you should be grown up, mature disciples by now. You've been hearing the word. What's wrong with you folks? And he's saying that to people like you and me. He he is saying how easy it is for us to want to remain babes who get spoon-fed with milk rather than maturing and growing in our lives. He moves from that shame, and he uses shame, by the way, uh, really in a positive sense. It's one thing to shame somebody and try to humiliate them. He's not trying to humiliate them and leave them. He's trying to use shame to, for them to look in the mirror of their lives and look at themselves and say, I don't want to be like this. And he then follows that with a warning. And the warning is specifically about falling away from the faith. He really is describing apostasy. That is, a conscious decision to deny, perhaps probably to denounce, the life-giving reality provided by the death of Jesus. I want you to notice in Hebrews 6, 6, reference is made. In fact, the word is used, crucifixion is used right there in this passage. There's a connection to that all the way back to 5, 8, where uh, the writer tells us that Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, and it was through the suffering on the cross that the reality of his fulfillment, when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. He is saying his life, his destiny, from the foundation of the world, has been completed in what he's doing. And so the writer in this issue of warnings ties back that if we apostatize, if we deny the faith that we once committed ourselves to and believed, we have re-crucified Jesus. Their shame is that they are ashamed of the death of Jesus. Do you remember... um, the Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus took on the shame of the cross. It's a great passage. It's important, it's important enough in this context of shame that, that we go back and look at that for a moment. Listen again to what um, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. He tells us that Jesus, he's talking about the Messiah, He will grow up before his father as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He says he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. That's the language of we were ashamed of him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Then he says, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. He goes on, he says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the twistedness of all of us. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. In other words, Jesus Jesus did not um, beg to be released. He goes on and talks about uh, more about Jesus. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put into grief. He talks about his soul being made an offering for sin, and and he will bear the iniquities of many. It says he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for us as transgressors the shame that Jesus took on the cross. He bore that shame, the shame that's our shame. And then for us to come back and for someone to be ashamed of Jesus, to apostatize, is the writer is basically saying there's no recovery from that. It's not that the Holy Spirit may not want to reach out to your life. It's that you have so hardened your soul that the shame of the cross is more than you can take in the arrogance of our self-sufficient, prideful humanity. You know, this is a passage we need to be really careful with. It seems to me there are two extremes that we need to avoid in the consideration of the passage here in Hebrews chapter 6, where he says, It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, a whole series of participles there, that if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. There are two extremes we need to look at here and to avoid. The first extreme is the extreme that we cannot have certainty for our salvation. The certainty of our salvation, our assurance in our, of our salvation, it is truly in Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Our errors, our shortcomings, even the weaknesses of our humanity, that does not negate our salvation. When the Holy Spirit reveals to us our failures, our, our falling, The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. We use our conscience that when we confess and repent, as 1 John tells us, we can be assured that our Heavenly Father is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and of all that has occurred. So the first extreme that the writer is not talking about, that we need to be careful here, is this sense that any mistake I've made, any shortcoming, that all of a sudden I've totally lost my salvation and i got, I got to get saved all over again. That's not really a scriptural teaching. Some of us grew up in frameworks where uh, I've heard ministers, and I, I guess I've said it myself, we got saved every youth camp, I got saved again every revival. And uh, those of us who grew up in that kind of environment sort of know what the distortion of that might mean Uh, Also sort of see the humor in that, but the reality is we didn't fully understand who we were in Christ and what it meant to be discipled and what it meant to be in the process of being sanctified and and that Jesus is not ashamed of us, as we talked about in previous podcasts. So this first extreme is that we need to be careful in looking at this passage. This passage is not saying to us, you can have no certainty of your salvation. That's a negative, okay? That's not what it's saying. The second extreme, though, is this. The passage is not saying that we can continue to live in willful rebellion against the Lord and not suffer suffer eternal consequences. The habitual backslidden state, the habitual undisciplined, the habitual undiscipled state of life of intentionally rejecting Holy Spirit conviction, that is a dangerous state that mocks the grace of God. And this, the writer of Hebrews is very conscious of that. Uh, There there are false, distorted kinds of theologies that basically give people cheap grace. Well, I accepted Jesus as my savior. No, I didn't really change the way I live. I'm still a a drunkard, I still hate people. Uh, I still live a corrupt, immoral life still violate God's commandments, but I once confessed my faith in Jesus, but nothing really has to change in my life. That's, that's a false teaching. It's a dangerous, dangerous, cheap grace. And our writer here is warning us of living with either one of these extremes. To avoid these extremes, in my view, I think it's best to view these warnings in six four through 8 as actual apostasy. Again, that's that conscious decision to reject the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's to reject that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Son of God. You see that very clearly in 1 John 2, 22 and 4, 3. It's actually the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that rejects that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, the Christ, and rejects that Jesus is the Son of God. It, it's to enter into the realm of idolatry, the rejecting of the revelation of God, and the substituting of our own images of what and who we will, we will serve. These are great and, and important warnings to us. And uh, the writer then, if you remember, I made reference to Cockrell's uh, progression of shame and warnings and consolation and assurance. After, after this awareness of shame and warnings, the writer returns to our confidence and our hope in 6-9. Our confidence in salvation is because God is not unjust in how he deals with us. We are called to persevere in the faith and not be like the, wil- the Israelites in the wilderness who could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. We... And if you notice there in chapter 6, as he's continuing this call related to our our confidence, our our assurance, we are called to continue ministering to one another. That's the word that's used. This means we're called to serve one another in the spirit of Christ and in his love. It's a great passage there uh, that ends up as, as an encouragement for us. Listen to it at 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 verse 11. He says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish. That's back to that dull of hearing thing. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. That last verse, through faith and patience inherit the promises of God is gonna become the link That's going to lead us at the end of chapter six back to Abraham, which becomes the link that will link us back to Melchizedek in chapter seven. Thanks for joining me. And if you will, take a, as you prepare for next week, go back and read chapter six, ponder some of the things I've talked about with you. Go and prepare to read, go ahead and read and reflect on Hebrews six, beginning at verse 13, as we get ready to move in the next couple of podcasts to talk about this shadowy figure out of Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. Milk is